You are listening to a True North Eager Beaver Media Podcast. The True North Eager Beaver Podcasts are proudly brought to you by our founding sponsors, the Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, your source for science fiction, fantasy, and cozy mysteries featuring a broad diversity of characters. CanadianTarot.com, your uniquely Canadian online eclectic tarot community and forum, and the Peppermaster, hot pepper sauces made from fresh farm ingredients to thrill your taste buds and expand your mind. As we do not wish to interrupt this program, because there was a very nice flow to the interview, we present the commercials in advance. Thank you. Well, hello, friends. It's your good buddy, Mr. Grizzly. And And uh, Mr. Beaver. Mr. Beaver's joining me. And, uh, well, today... We're hoping you can give us a hand, a hand up or a handout or a help up. I don't know. You pick the verbiage that best suits your ideal. Here's the thing. We incur a lot of costs while we're doing this. Uh, I've invested a few thousand dollars on new equipment. And to be honest with you, I have no problem with it. But it'd be nice if we could recoup a little bit of that because, you know... I'm not wealthy, <laughs> far from it. So if you guys and gals and they and them like what we're doing and you want to help us out, it'd be awesome if you could go to our coffee page, toss us a couple of bucks. Mr. Beaver. Yeah. Um, we love doing this. Clearly we have a good time doing it. And uh, yeah. as the show is getting bigger and we're getting more feedback and participation uh, from you kids, uh, it makes our day and it gives us uh, motivation uh, to work harder and uh, come up with uh, great interview guests. We definitely have some lined up. Oh yeah. Uh, normally we keep up a surprise, but should we just give some teasers? Give them the teasers, brother. Yeah, uh, we've been talking to Cindy Blackstock. We're trying to set a date. Uh, we're trying to set a date with uh, Francis Hordelsky, who used to be the chief anchor at uh, the Business News Network, so we can have some uh, talk about economics. Uh, we uh, tried to get uh, uh, polling analysis and political analyst Evan Scrimshaw. Uh, so we're waiting to hear from him as well. Uh, we have uh, Murray Billet, uh, who was uh, was a big activist uh, in terms of the. Uh, gay rights and uh, bringing about uh, the recognition of uh, gays and lesbians in the charter uh, way back in the day. So uh, we have some uh, interesting guests uh, lined up for you and uh, we're going to try to get uh, uh, David uh, Mosscroft back because uh, there's an election coming and well, <laughs> we like <laughs> his views are always interesting. <laughs> well, that and and also the fact that um, he's got some interesting takes on this current situation that he's living through as well, because he doesn't live too far from me. I don't like I know the general vicinity of where he resides, and it, and and he's close to the action that I'm in the middle of. So take it from Mister Grizzly, Blue Jacket guy. We really would like to hear from you. We really would. We really could use a couple of bucks from you. Whatever you can spare. I'm not asking for anything big. If you can help us out, that's wonderful. And we appreciate it. And we really appreciate the fact that you listen in and provide commentary. Thanks. Hey there, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, Mr. Beaver. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Hey, uh, did you get something in the mail lately? Yes. Um, Miss V Mysteries. Yeah, I did too. Awesome. Bedside reading. Yes. Um, For those who don't know, The Miss B Mysteries is an LGBTQ plus cozy mystery series written by Delilah Knight. Miss V is 60, 
trans, and classy, sassy, and a bit smartassy. From her kitten heels to her chic bob, Miss V is a lady through and through. When her late aunt's lawyer is found murdered, and clutching V's favorite Chanel jacket, she is immediately arrested. Can she find the real killer before the local law puts her away for good? Will she be forced to trade 50s rock and roll for jailhouse blues? Do prisons even have a happy hour? Well, none of the ones I've been in. Wait, what? What? There's a story there. No. We'll talk about that after the ad. Miss V and the Letras Lawyer is the first book in a humorous, cozy mystery series from by ace author Delilah Knight. On sale now wherever ebooks are sold. Paperback copies are also available, or call your local library and ask them to get it in. Signed copies available at www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. That's www.corvidmoonpublishing, all in one word, .com. The Miss V Mysteries. You need to be reading it. Well, hello, kids. The Beaver Lodge asks its guests if they're willing to provide an extended interview so that we may better get to know what makes them tick. When they agree, we package it together and present it to you as part of this series. Welcome to season two and episode number 19 of the True North Eager Beaver Interview Project, a series of extended chats with interesting Canadians who have things to say about which you should be aware. Today, recording day is Monday, May 16th, and we had quite the rainstorm here at the Beaver Lodge, for which I'm grateful because the ground here needed a good drink. I'm your host, the Eager Beaver, pronouns he, him, hey, Mr. Beaver A, and I am pleased as punch that you, dearest kits, have joined Mr. Grizzly and I, especially today, for this episode because we have the very high honor and extreme privilege of welcoming to the Beaver Lodge an extremely impressive Métis women with roots in the historic Métis communities of Batoche and St. Louis, Saskatchewan. She grew up closely connected to her Métis traditions, heritage, and culture, and is driven by her family and community, values of respect, honesty, collaboration, and responsibility. As an entrepreneur, she has advised and evaluated both provincially and nationally administered programs that aim to serve and support Indigenous peoples and communities across Canada. She has also supported the implementation of initiatives in, by, and for Indigenous communities throughout Canada in a variety of sectors, all of which sought to achieve an overarching goal of restoring balance and wellness to Indigenous communities. And in September of 2021, she became the first elected woman to hold the office of President of the Métis National Council, replacing Clément Chartier, who had held the positions to, since 2003. We are you might hear in my voice, kids. I am very excited about this. We are very honored to have her. Welcome to the Beaver Lodge, Cassidy Caron. Thank Welcome, you Cassidy. so much. I'm happy to be here. Oh my God. Um, We're happy to have you here. Yeah. Um, in, there's a part in your bio that I left out that I wanted to single out here because this is one of the reasons I wanted to invite you to the show. And I wanted to invite you like ever since the day I found out you had been elected because I saw the interviews with you shortly after. And it says here in your bio, Cassidy leads with kindness and is passionate about promoting that there is a role for everyone in the work that needs to be done to move the Métis Nation forward in a good way. It is, that was so apparent in those 
those first interviews, I was so blown away. I was so blown away uh, that I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but there's a lot of us that are sitting there going like, what can we do? What can we do? We just, we just want to know what to do, but we don't know what to do. And we're, we're ignorant. And, and it's just like, yeah, there's a spot for you that this is about you too. Uh, And that just like, wow. And the kindness was so apparent and and the patience and the willingness uh, to meet an outstretched hand with another outstretched hand. And I just like people need to hear her because this, it, it made my heart happy. <laughs> it made my soul happy. So I just wanted everybody to know that. And just we just wanted to have a conversation because there's been a lot going on and you've been at the center of some pretty momentous events. And um, yeah, we, we think that our listeners would love to hear from you. So welcome. Thank you. Wow, that's uh, quite the introduction. Thanks. I've... Uh, it has been quite a busy seven and a half months since my election, and I'm just happy to be a part of uh, sharing the important stories of the work that that we're doing right now. Um, why don't you tell us about you and your people and where you come from and just what brought you here? Sure. So, um, yeah, as you said, I am the president of the Métis National Council. And for listeners who might not fully understand, um, you know, the Métis are a distinct Indigenous people and nation recognized by the Canadian Constitution Act of uh, 1982 as one of the three Aboriginal peoples in Canada. Um, And since 1983, the Métis National Council has been the national and international voice of the Métis Nation within Canada. And we advocate on behalf of our governing members, which are the democratically elected Métis governments of Ontario, Saskatchewan, and Alberta, to advance Métis rights and interests within their respective jurisdictions, including the implementation of the Métis Nation's inherent right to self-determination and self-government. And uh, so I've now held this position for about seven and a half months. Um, My family is from St. Louis and Batoche, Saskatchewan, which are two historic Métis communities out west. Um, A lot of history in those communities, if anybody has had the opportunity to visit the Batoche Historic uh, Site. It's a a Parks Canada uh, site out there. There's one homestead that still stands um, and it's protected by by Parks Canada. And it's actually my great, great, great grandfather's home. Um, Yeah, it's it's a wonderful place to visit. I was born and raised in British Columbia, but grew up always going back to Saskatchewan to visit family. To visit that homestead, to visit that site that carries so much significance and importance to the Métis Nation. And throughout my life, I've always been involved in the Métis community, lucky to know who I am and where I come from, and to be really proud to be Métis. And everything that I've done up until this point has really been about being proud of who I who I am and, and my history and my culture 
and building relationships, no matter where I go, staying connected to community, no matter where I go, and really just looking to, you know, add more voices to conversations, um, because that's what's important. That's how we make the right decisions. And so that's kind of, you know, how I've got to where I am today. I've spent some time in post-secondary education um, with doing my undergraduate in history and Indigenous studies, as well as a master's in community development, um, and worked really all across Canada with Indigenous communities from coast to coast to coast. And now just really, really honored to hold the position that I do and to get to do the work alongside our our Métis people and and for our Métis people at the national and international levels. Um, Making the plunge though, like taking the plunge to become the president of a national organization, that's not, I mean, it's not small potatoes. No, no, it's a difficult undertaking. What was the impetus? I mean, what made you say like, yeah, it's, it's time and I'm the person. Uh, you know, you get asked enough time by your community to step up into leadership positions and uh, you just you just do it. Um, yeah. Like I say, there's no greater honor than to serve my nation. And the timing was right. There has been change afoot in the Métis Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, our Métis governments are evolving at an incredibly rapid pace. Um, being able to provide services and programs to our Métis citizens across the Métis Nation homeland and making huge steps forward in having our rights recognized and and implemented. And uh, I saw an opportunity to ensure that the Métis National Council could evolve alongside of our Métis governments and, and the people who we advocate for. And when I was asked by by community to put my name forward for the election, I did. And just so happened that uh, I won the election. Yay. <laughs> what was the campaign like? There was no campaign. Um, through our governance structures, um, the president of the Métis National Council is elected by our General Assembly. And our General Assembly is comprised of elected officials from each of our Métis governments. And so those elected officials are representing our Métis citizens and each hold a vote. Um, Our elections happen anywhere between a second and third term for president. Um, This one was quite long overdue, the the election for president. And when it finally came time to to be there in person for our assembly, um, there has been a lot of shifts within the Métis Nation. And um, it was really just the night before um, where my nomination was confirmed and the election took place the next day. So you have an opportunity to speak to the, to the voting delegates, make a speech. Um, You have to be elected with a a vote of 50% plus one. And at the time there was three delegates who were nominated. Um, So the first vote, nobody had 50% plus one. So the person with the least amount of votes 
um, kind of gets bumped off the, the ticket. Okay. The second round of voting um, was a complete tie, 20 to 20. No and way. then the third ballot was the ballot that I won on. And so it was a really great opportunity to see, you know, some of our Métis democracy in action. Um, it was a really great opportunity to get to speak to all of the different elected officials from the governing members and many of whom I've known for a lot of years. Um, the relationships that I've been building throughout my career um, has, has, like I say, it's culminated to this, to this moment. And uh, it was just, yeah, it was a, it was a really exciting day. Wow. Okay. I'm curious. How was the tie broken? I just went to a third vote um, between the second and third ballot. There was a lot of different time to speak to the different dele- uh, to the voting delegates, um, you know, have uh, have your kind of perspective shared. Uh, you know, it's in the in the personal interactions that people start to get to know you, get to know your vision, get to understand your leadership. And so it's it was in those conversations, I suppose, that swayed the extra five votes that that led to my election hey wow that is a very i like that it's almost like a combination of the the old delegated system because you can still influence rather than having wow mm-hmm. i like fate, that you could say right fate <laughs> yeah what's, what's what's the old quote fate rarely calls upon us at a at a, at a time of our choosing hmm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it kind of worked out for you because you were, I think you were very much ready for this though, were you not? Yeah, I mean, as ready as one could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, the last seven and a half months, I'm, there was, there's a lot that has happened that I honestly never thought I would have to yeah. do in my lifetime. Um, a lot of challenges, a lot of obstacles, Um, But, you know, also a lot of really incredible opportunities and moments to spend my time with some really amazing people and and Métis citizens. Um, And I mean, even so big as to go over to the Vatican and meet with the Pope, which happened Mm -hmm. last month, Um, an opportunity that I never, ever could have imagined I would do in my lifetime. Well, that's kind of the thing that was interesting the, with the the timing of everything is you came on board and then all of a sudden it's like the sea change in the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of a sudden people are talking about things that they haven't talked about and they're things that they a lot of people say they didn't know but Mm-hmm. We know. <laughs> we knew it was going on. Uh, you know, but being willing to face it and the whole the whole rash of apologies that mm-hmm. that seemed to be treading water completely. Compensation things had stalled totally. Um, this was not originally. I mean, I'm. You're glad. I'm. I'm sure that the ball is finally moving. That's something unblocked and and that things are moving forward. But I mean, mixed in with this, I mean, there's so much revelation and uh, dredging up of past pain and, and the events are so monumentous, even like just as a president, just like take away the emotional stuff, just the administrative and the PR. And I'm sure the number of interviews and just because this is so big, I mean, even, you know, even, 
it's even in the United States now, right? I've heard Deb Holland on the news, you know, mm-hmm. and they're doing searches there now uh, as a result of what happened here. I mean, that's not really what you signed up for. So how how do you how does that happen when all of a sudden, you know, not only do you get the job and you're learning, but all of a sudden the entire spotlight of an entire nation and even more is on you? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the work that I did prior to to my election, I I ran a consulting company for about 10 years. And in that time, I was, uh, like I say, I worked with Indigenous communities across the country. Um, but more recently, my focus had been on community development and building relationships between Canadian municipalities and their neighboring Indigenous communities. Um, really with a focus on educating people about the past, educating Canadians about our our true history and why things are the way they are today. And explaining to people that there is a role for everyone in reconciliation and we just need to find ways to continue those conversations. Um, of course, a, a year or so ago when the news broke out of Kamloops at, uh, to Kamloops um, First Nation with the uh, discovery of the unmarked graves that reignited a conversation in Canada about the true history of, of, of our country. And I took it upon myself in the work that I was doing to ensure that those conversations continued no matter where we were that, you know, this is such, this is a watershed moment in our history here in Canada, that there's no way that a single Canadian could ever not know this. And we need to make sure that we have those conversations. And so then when I became president, it was, again, how do we use this opportunity? How do we seize these moments where we can continue engaging with Canadians and citizens around the world really about what has happened, Mm -hmm. but also about the incredible things that our communities are doing to move forward. And that's kind of the opportunity that I saw when we were one week after my election um, invited to bring, put together a delegation to send over to the Vatican to meet with Pope Francis. You know, that came really quickly. And luckily, I have the support of my board of governors. um, And we talked about how do we want to represent ourselves in this opportunity? We really wanted to make sure that our survivors voices were highlighted in these conversations, that their stories were the ones that needed to be heard. Mm -hmm. And so that's the approach that we took. And that's the approach that has well, not only resonated with Pope Francis, but has resonated with Canadians and, and like I say, citizens around the world. And all it is, is the truth. And there's, there's so much power in our stories and there's so much power in the truth that it just, it has to compel people to want to learn more and want to move forward in a good way. They want to know how they can contribute to the healing and and reconciliation of our communities as as we continue to move forward. And so I really wanted to make sure that, you know, we seize the opportunity, especially within the media, to have our stories heard. Mm -hmm. Of course, for so long, 
indigenous stories as that umbrella term indigenous or, or aboriginal stories have been heard and people know about residential schools but to be able to now share you know the nuances of the metis story our metis experiences with residential schools and you know the distinct you know it's the same history but with distinct experiences Mm-hmm. Um, that has meant a lot to our survivors and, and to their, their families and intergenerational survivors and our communities to have our stories heard on, you know, a, a global scale. And, uh, I think that is what will ultimately lead to more conversations and hopefully more solutions and, and positive changes. Now, I think, I think the sea changes on the, it's there. I think it's there, mm-hmm. um, especially with the younger generation. You know, like, I, I, and we talk about this frequently. We say Gen Z is the kids are all right. They they have a better grasp of this than because I'm Gen X, right? My generation, we weren't taught very much. Uh, most of us are sitting around listening, going like, "Holy crap! I had no idea. I had no idea because no one ever told us. It wasn't taught in school. It was taught that there were residential schools, but that was pretty much the gist of it. Nobody told us what really went on." And with, with the Gen Z kids, and I say kids because I'm 54 in a few weeks, they're kids to me, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they have this, this sense of caring and compassion and empathy that I've never seen before. And they all are trying, they're like, let's make the change. Let's listen to these stories. We need to hear this. It's important that this story is told and everybody hears it. So the sea change is there. It's happening. Um, we just... We have to beat back a few bad people. Um, and they all look like me, always. <laughs> they always look like me. I know. Well, they do. I mean, you know, it's it's just a simple fact. You know, it's, I, I'm a white guy, but I'm not one of those white guys, you know. <laughs> um, you were there for about five days, right? Total? When I- at, the, at the Vatican? We were, yeah, about five days, a day on each end for travel. Yeah, and you you need a little bit of travel time just to recover (laughs) from the jet lag. I've been to Rome. I know what I know what it's like. It's yeah, you definitely need the time because it's it's exhausting. Mm. So, each one of the the three, uh, if we're using distinctive language, each one of the three groups had their moment with the Pope, and then later on, uh, I believe, was the Manitoba Métis Federation that went about a month later, I believe. Um, I know you can't disclose private conversations with the Pope, um, but we want you I'm to think there's a moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we know you can't like to, uh, but I'm guessing there's a moment, you know, you walk in and there's formality and all that kind of stuff. And then there's a moment where there's a recognition or you know, okay, well, he really is listening or like, with that, again, without, I, with whatever you can say, what's that moment or mm-hmm. what was the thing that resonated? So I can say anything. I don't consider that meeting to be private at all, especially, you know, as an elected official, I really don't think that there's, um, much, uh, you know, there is no such thing as a private conversation. I'm accountable to, to the citizens and, and I want to share as much as possible. Um, so I don't think that that meeting was, was private. We wanted to have it 
recorded. Actually, we, we advocated to have our own videographer there so that we could come back and really share that as best as we could. Um, Vatican protocols did not allow that to happen. Um, and there was, there was a lot of restrictions around media and even our own individuals who documentarians who wanted to capture this really incredible and important moment in history. Um, we weren't able to do it to the, to our fullest extent, but to your point, um, yeah, it was, um, once again, a moment that I never thought I would have in my life. Um, I was raised Catholic. I, my grandmother, um, was Catholic. I did the whole seven years of catechism, first communion confirmation, all of that. Um, but since my grandmother passed, I, I haven't stepped foot into a church. I don't consider myself a Catholic. Um, and so I, I wasn't going into this moment as, you know, this wasn't a pilgrimage for me. This mm-hmm. was not a sightseeing tour. This was not a, a PR stunt for me. This was a business trip. Mm-hmm. I was sent there by our citizens to help facilitate the sharing of our stories and deliver a message to the Pope, somebody who has the opportunity to influence change. And so for me, you know, when I walked into the to the room and shook hands with the Pope, it wasn't a overwhelming moment for myself. I felt actually quite grounded, very confident in the message that I was going to be delivering because it was, you know, constructed in partnership and collaboration with as many voices as I could. Like I say, I like to add as many voices to the conversation. Um, I wanted to do what I could to represent the diversity of the Métis Nation, um, to represent who we are as, as Métis people, to represent our spirituality, and to represent the different perspectives that we have move, moving forward. And so, for me, that's, that's the job that I was there to do. And so, you know, we did go in and we had an hour with the Pope in our, in our first private encounter. And, um, we had all decided that that hour would be best spent just having our survivors share their stories. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And like you said, there was a moment when I did look up and I realized he's listening, he's understanding. And if you've ever had the opportunity to be in a room with a residential school survivor who is sharing their stories, it is impossible to not feel that and Mm -hmm. to feel the impact of their words, to feel the emotion in the room and Pope Francis understands English quite well. Um, and so he didn't need his translator. He didn't rely on his translator for much of the conversation. There were some words here and there that he would lean over and ask for uh, clarification on. But, you know, you could see the sorrow in his face. You could see that he was really understanding what had taken place. After our three survivors shared their stories, I delivered a message on behalf of of the Métis Nation to Pope Francis 
um, one of inviting him on our journey for truth, reconciliation, healing, and justice, and explaining to him what each of those three or those four themes means to us. And um, when Pope Francis then had the opportunity to share his thoughts or share his sentiments, um, the only words that he spoke back to us in English were reiterating truth, justice, and healing. And that he takes those three things as his personal responsibility. So he was really listening and it it really did come through. And so, you know, the ability for our survivors to share their stories, to have them heard. And then what I really do believe is influence his decision to make the apology that he did later that week. Mm. It, it changed the lives of those three survivors, those three individuals who have gone through so much hurt in their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that made it all worth it for me. I am incredibly um, impressed uh, by how you were able to really draw that crisp, clear line as to what your duty was in this case. You really did go and like set all the conditions to go truly as a leader meeting another leader. When you say it's not a pilgrimage, I mean, everything that you're mentioning, it is you had very, very, very clear lines uh, of demarcation between what it is that you were there to do, what it is you were not there to do, as opposed to the three survivors you brought along as a facilitator. And that requires a ridiculous amount of quiet strength and poise especially with all that emotion going on, that's, I'm just saying, I see it. And that's, that's impressive to me. That is just, wow. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people may have been somewhat intimidated in that position, meeting the Pope. I mean, he is the one guy who does his job, right? He's a global leader. like it or not. Uh, but, but he holds no authority over you. And as you said, it was a business meeting. So I can understand why you wouldn't be overwhelmed at all. You're like, no, no, I'm here to get some right righteousness done for my people. So mm-hmm. you go into it, I think, with that attitude. This is just me, you know, spitballing here. But if you go into it with that attitude, I think that's the best possible way you can go about doing it because you, you, you're not, there's no emotions attached to it. But, well, there's emotions attached to it, but not, not of the overwhelming type. The emotions are of, I need to get reconciliation. Mm-hmm. That's it's my job to make sure this happens, right? And I, I would say, you know, I was raised um, by my mother and my grandmother, and the way that they raised me was to make sure that, you know, everybody is is just human. Mm-hmm. Everybody is just a person. That I'm never to feel higher than others. I really have a really difficult time understanding and believing in hierarchies um, and the ego that goes along with them. And so for me, yes, he is a head of state. Yes, he is the, the, the head of the Catholic Church. But 
I was just going to meet with another individual who has the ability to influence change. Oh, now that's, 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 wow. That's, I often recommend to people like to bring things down to their essence, right? When you want to, and you are impressive. You are very impressive. Um, you got a little crush going on there. I have we need to tell your partner. Going on. <laughs> Alex will be jealous. Fierce. <laughs> he is fierce. Oh, I love this. This makes my heart so happy. I'm sorry. I'm like up. Oh, okay. He's um, very emotional. Yes, I am. Uh, I, I, I just like it. I have my, my in, inner sense of justice. Just, just, there's so much that needs to be made right. Mm-hmm. So when I mm-hmm. see the ball moving, when I see um, people of good intent and good nature, people that would have all the reasons in the world to be dark and angry and and just go in there with clarity and calm and temperance and just the Mandela. These effect. are the people I look up to. These are the people I look up to because these are qualities we need more of in the world. Oh, absolutely. In general. I, I so think like when, you, when I see it happen, it just makes my heart happy. <laughs> you could call it <laughs> the Mandela you. effect, right? Wow. It's it's going into it with an open heart and an open mind instead of, you know, despite the fact that you have every right to go in there and be angry, mm. you choose not to, which mm-hmm. is how you get things done. I mean, I use anger when I am put into a situation where... Um, and it doesn't happen often, but occasionally when you're in a situation where things could go south real fast and somebody could get hurt, I use anger to push away fear, right? Push the fear away, and, and, and it can be a positive energy in that sense, but that's about the only time I think a- anger is effective is when it comes in as like a, a, a self-defense mechanism. But when it comes into trying to achieve something good and great for not just yourself, but I mean for your entire community, uh, your entire nation, I should say that because that's you're the president of the nation. Um, you don't use anger then because anger will be defeatist in that point. You need to go into it with an open heart and an open mind and 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 a, and a positive attitude. And I think, you know, we like Douglas just said, we need more of that in this world. And and you are leading the way. Well, thank you. And you know, I do see a really important role for that and and in the position that I am to show others that there is different ways of leadership. I think, you know, there has been times where of course our leaders have had to fight in the ways that that you were just speaking of. They they had to go in and they had to bang their fists on tables and they had to heck even, you know, my ancestors who had to go to battle with guns at oh, the yeah. Battle of Batash um, to fight for their rights. I mean, and then I just think though that there we're in a different time now. And mm-hmm. we can show people that there is a different way to lead and that leadership doesn't have to look or act a certain way and that you can be effective when you do lead with your values and, Mm -hmm. and really with compassion and love. 
And, and it's a choice that you make to do it, right? It's, it's a conscious decision that you, you choose to go in and, and, and greet it in that manner because it's easy to give in to the other emotions. Like, you, you know, the old story about the wolf, you know, which one do you feed? Which one survives? The wolf is angry and love is something else. And which one wins? Whichever one you feed, right? Mm-hmm. I know it's, it's an older saying, but I've, I've, I'm terrible at My memory's not so great anymore. Played a lot of hockey. I'm a goaltender, a lot of concussions, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this way of seeing the world and of seeing leadership, are there any teachings that on which that's based on where that comes from? Mm-hmm. Or is it just something you found yourself going through life? No, I, I mean, I've certainly, I learn and I take lessons away from the stories that many of my elders have shared. Um, of course, the ways that both my, my mother and my grandmother who raised me as very strong, independent Métis women, um, I've, I've learned so much from them. Um, but really, you know, leading with, kindness and and with love uh, comes from one of the teachings that one of my elders has shared with me. And, you know, it, it, it ties so directly into the conversations that we've been having, you know, with, with the Pope and about residential schools where, you know, colonization and uh, attempted assimilation, the tactics that were used when you really boil it down is that they were trying to teach our people that everything that we did, the ways that we lived, it was wrong, that we couldn't love who we were. We couldn't love our language. We couldn't love our communities. We couldn't love um, our traditions and our culture. Mm -hmm. They grew up within these institutions that um, had no love within them but our people are so resilient and they are, my one elder tells me the story about when she was taken away to residential school, she was taken away from love. Mm -hmm. And when she came back, she of course was angry. She was hurt. Her identity had been stripped away from her, but what brought her back and what keeps her strong is remembering the love that her parents had for her and that, you know, we need to relearn how to love and that we can lead with that. And and now you see so many of our elders who want to see our communities thriving. They want us relearning our language and our culture, and they've held on to that and they've been so resilient for us that it's a time now where, where we can be safe in loving who we are and reclaiming our culture and traditions and language. And we can be proud to be Métis and what better way to honor our elders and, you know, those children who didn't make it home from residential school than to, to show them that we love who we are and that we are proud to be Métis and that we want to live the way that they wanted us to live um, before all of this harm was done to our communities. And so that's one of those pieces that absolutely drives me um, in the work that I do. There's other lessons that I've been taught by um, leaders who, like I say, were those ones that had to go in and bang their fists on tables to demand that our rights be recognized. But they've told me in different ways that it doesn't have to be that way, Mm -hmm. that you can, instead of demand, 
just explain your position, just explain why this is important. And, and often enough, those who want to listen will hear. Oh, absolutely. there's, there's a lot of those lessons that I take from my elders and, and of course, the way that I was raised that, that guide me in the way that, uh, that I, I lead in this position today. I would guess that uh, when you're out in the community and you are talking to survivors, there are probably some days where you go back to wherever you go after the, at the end of the day and you're just so affected uh, because how can you not be? What do you do to take care of your spirit then? <laughs> that's, that's a learning journey, especially in the hard work that I do today. Um, the day I was elected, I reached out to one of my elders to connect with her um, to ask for that guidance. Um, and so I am on that journey of, of understanding how to lean on, um, my culture to take care of me. Um, but I also have a really incredible and supportive fiance who is along this journey with me. Um, he's also Métis. And so he understands, um, he knows our communities, he knows the people, he knows the history. And so to be able to have somebody to come home and, um, and talk to about the, the personal aspects of these difficult business days, um, is, is incredibly important to me and, uh, so grateful to, to have that support. Are there days where you just think, yeah, it's just too much? (laughs) No, not yet. Um, not yet. And I don't think there, you know, I don't think there will come that time because again, I just have to think back to uh, a few of my elders, a few of those people who I know have gone through so much and they're still there fighting in their communities and it has not become too much for them. And so if they can do it, then so can I. I like to hear that. <laughs> um, what, what, what should we, those of us who are not from the community, but have our eyes open and our ears open and our hearts open and we're at attention and we want to know what we can do. What can we do, number one, but two, what what should we know? What are the things that we're just like too ignorant to even ask to know that we should know? Well, I think, I mean, there's a lot of different subjects that I could talk about um, that I think, you know, we need, we need allyship in. Um, the biggest piece, though, is in in education, in educating yourself and your families about, you know, who are Métis people. I think we still tend to, in Canadian society, uh, lump uh, the three Indigenous groups together um, under that that umbrella term of Indigenous or Aboriginal. Um, and of course, as First Nations, Métis and Inuit, we have a shared history, but we also have very unique experiences. And 
the, these past few months and when we went over to the Vatican provided us a really great opportunity uh, as the Métis Nation to explain to the world that Métis people did go to residential schools. I think that it often isn't talked about. I think it is often very much a, um, a First Nations uh, story that gets shared. And that's fantastic. That is really good. That's very important. I think it's um, another role of mine to be able to be in this position and support our relatives um, at the AFN and the ITK um, and rebuild those relationships in a good way. But there's also a lot that hasn't been hasn't been told about the Métis experience in residential schools. And, you know, one really easy and quick piece that I can share for people to start understanding that is understanding that the majority of Métis residential school survivors were left out of the Indian residential school settlement agreement. And that was the, the large class action suit that led to the truth, um, the truth and reconciliation commission, um, the calls to action, many different pieces that stem from it, including the national center for truth and reconciliation. And the reasoning behind that is because the, the class action lawsuit was negotiated by the federal government and, and the Catholic church and their, their lawyers. And they, they dwindled it down so far to creating these stipulations of what classified a residential school. And it, it narrowed it down to about 130 to 140 residential schools with the caveat that they had to be federally funded. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of residential schools, hundreds of residential schools across this country that were in place to do the same thing that those federally funded residential schools did. They were meant to assimilate Indigenous people into European culture and ways of being and living. Mm -hmm. But because of that administrative and legal nuance, those schools weren't covered there. And those were many of the schools that Métis people went to, um, including uh, one of the schools right now that we are fighting for justice for is um, the Isle Lacrosse. Uh, boarding school in Saskatchewan. That was a provincially funded uh, boarding school that Métis people went to and uh, and were significantly harmed at as well. Um, so that that nuance there um, is something that we don't talk about that we that Canadians don't know about. Mm -hmm. um, I even saw something today. You know, you mentioned that. The, the work that we're doing in Canada right now is, is is trickling into the United States and that the work is now being done there. But I saw an article today that said that, uh, um, you know, in, in the U.S., there was double the amount of residential schools in Canada, but they were using the 130 school number oh, from okay. Canada. But like I say, there was hundreds more schools Um and they were called boarding schools. They were called convents. Even mm -hmm. when uh, you hear our community members talking about, they were sent away to the convent. Mm -hmm. It was the same type of experience that they had there. And so that's one piece that, uh, that doesn't get talked about, um, but is really important to, to our history. And so that's some of the work that we at, as a Métis Nation are currently doing and, uh, and is an important piece to, to continue talking about. Um, we're getting close to the end of our time together. Um, 
but we like to often end our episodes with stuff that's cool or a little more upbeat and a little lighter you know, when we talk about the indigenous community when we talk about first nations inuit and metis people it's often um in the context of tragedy or mm-hmm. past harm uh, but the metis culture i'm sure is vibrant and thriving and you know has a lot of very cool, interesting people doing very cool, interesting things. What are things that Canadians should know about? The, the, like what, what's good? <laughs> what's good these days? What's going on? I'm so glad you asked that because I too, that's, a, that's another role that I like to play is, you know, when I, when I stepped into this position, one of the things that I, I articulated was that I really hope to be something like a, um, a storyteller in chief where I get to travel around to our different communities and highlight the good and the success that our communities are having, that our people are having. Um, and that was something that was, again, was a teaching from one of my elders who said, you know, our elders are so supportive of our young people and, and anything that they want to do. But one thing that our young people aren't so good at is going back to the elders and telling them, all of the things that they're succeeding at. Mm -hmm. And part of that is the way that we were raised. We're taught not to brag, not to have an ego, but there's a, there's a fine line. There's a fine balance that you have to play in needing to celebrate your successes. And our communities need to do that so much more because our communities are thriving. Our people are thriving. The nation is thriving. There is so much good happening in, in, the Métis Nation. Um, one of those pieces is you can, again, I know we're on the theme of, uh, of the Vatican trip. Um, those two young Métis fiddle players who joined us over at the Vatican. I, of course, was emotional when I was sitting beside our, our, our survivors who you could physically feel their their emotions when the Pope apologized. I was emotional then, but I really only got emotional when our two young fiddle players got up and fiddled in front of the Pope because it just shows the world that we are still here. We are so proud to be who we are and our young people are doing this work and it's so incredible to see. Um, I would encourage anybody who hasn't seen that performance to just Google the the general audience of that Vatican visit. Um, it was after the apology. Their names are uh, uh, Alex Kusterak and Brianna Lazat. I think both of them are on Spotify and uh, Apple Music. I'll put a little plug out for the two of them. <laughs> but they are two really incredible young people, two of many incredible young people who are doing this work and uh, just highlighting how incredible Métis culture is. And so, like I say, there's so much to celebrate and we do need to spend more time talking about the good things that are happening because, you know, there is so much more good than there is bad out Mm -hmm. there. And there's so much hope for the future of the Métis Nation. And I am just so excited to see the the direction that we go when we are all working together. Um, would you be so kind as to agree to come back and share some good news when there are absolutely for sure i would very happy to spread it (laughs) um cassidy um thank you so very much 
Thank you for um, your time. Is there, we always like to ask our guests, is there anything that they, they want to, to leave our listeners with? The, some words of wisdom or, you know, again, you know, just knowledge that they must know or, or a parting message or anything of the sort. Yeah. I mean, I just think the biggest thing is to just always stay curious, always ask questions, be critical. Um, it's important to, to really think critically about what you're hearing on social media and any media outlets these days. Um, and whenever you have questions about, you know, the direction of, uh, of where we want to go as a nation or questions about protocols or culture or anything within the Métis Nation, um, more than more times than not, you can just ask, <laughs> just ask the question. It's better than uh, going on and not knowing or, um, you know, going in and saying or doing the wrong thing. It's not a bad thing to ask questions. And, and I just if if anybody wants to have conversations like that, uh, you know, find a Métis person and ask. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, uh, thank you very much for coming uh, to chat with us. Um, anytime you have uh, the need to, to share a message, our tribune is yours. Just let us know. We'll make room for you. Um, you're a friend of the lodge as far as we're concerned. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we wish you well. I mean, uh, I think the, the, the visit, the papal visits like at the end of July. So yes. I'm sure you're going to be very busy. So I, I hope that it goes uh, smoothly and that uh, everybody gets what they hope, uh, what they came for because mm-hmm. it's been a long time coming. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your time. Yes. Well, kids, uh, that's the end of our interview. If you liked it, you can find us on Google, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Deezer, Player FM, pretty much everywhere now. Uh, we're, you know, we're set on Beaver World Domination. We only have about what, 6 billion, 1,000 more subscribers to go before we get there. So <laughs> <laughs> tell your friends, <laughs> we need help. Uh, of course, retweets, shares, gentle corrections, constructive criticism, compliments, requests, positive reviews are always welcome. And if you love us so much and just don't want to miss an episode, we're not commitment phobic. Subscribe. You can do that via our PodPage site at podpage.com slash the true north eager beaver, all in lowercase letters with a hyphen between each word. And finally, if you really, really, really just love us and you can't stand it and you really need to do something about it, don't worry, we got you covered. We work for tips. Please feel free to buy a cup of coffee for Mr. Grizzly here or a mug of hot chocolate for me. To find your way to our tip jar, go to coffee at ko-fi.com slash eagerbeaver, all in one word, lowercase letters. From the Beaver Lodge, this is your eager beaver and Mr. Grizzly saying, until next time, dear kids, it can be a tough world out there. So be kind to and gentle with yourself. The True North Eager Beaver podcast is an eager beaver, Mr. Grizzly collaboration. Research, story, and guest curation and copy written by the eager beaver. Recording, production, editing, and additional research by Mr. Grizzly. Music courtesy of Ben Sound Royalty Free Music. Once again, thank you to our founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com. Thank you to Pete Jarvis for our wonderful artwork. We just adore it. And once again, a very, very, very big thank you to our guest, Cassidy Caron. We'll talk to you soon, kids. Take care. 
Hey kids, if you like your food like you like your eager beaver news, spicy and bringing on the heat, then let us introduce you to the Pepper Master. Based in Rigaud, Quebec, Pepper Master Greg Brooks sources local ingredients, grows and roasts 100% of his own peppers to make at least 130 different varieties of single pepper mashes, all-purpose pepper sauces, cooking and grilling sauces, condiments and hot sweets, infusions and rubs. From mild to medium to hot to very hot to crazy hot to are you freaking kidding me? I'll be breathing dragon fire. Each bottle is carefully crafted to bring just the right amount of heat to your feast. All of the Pepper Master's sauces are gluten-free, peanut-free, slow fair trade, made with organic vinegars and sugars, are reduced in sea salt, have no capsaicin extract, preservatives, colors, added flavors, or GMOs. All products are latex-free and feature green printing. Try their best-selling jerk curry or sticky ginger garlic grilling sauce. Their spiced umami three-pack featuring barbecue sauce A, maple umami, and bacon reaper madness. Or if, if variety is the spice of life, pick up a jewels of fire and ice sampler of 16 sauces, one for every heat tolerance. And because only a true pepper master can take the heat away, don't forget to try the original pepper antidote, an amazing pure concoction of heavy cream and dark maple syrup that works as a salve, a heat reducer on your tongue, or doubles as a yummy treat. Mr. Grizzly, uh, I'm sure you've gotten your samples of sauces. Have you tried any? Oh, yes. Uh, I tried the jerk chicken. I liked that quite a bit. Uh, I used it in a couple of, uh, actually, not jerk chicken recipes, but some chicken that I cooked up one night. And there was another one I tried. It was a scotch bonnet sauce that I decided I wanted to have a little bit of spicy pasta that night, you know? Mm-hmm. So I put a couple, like the tiniest little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to be able to walk the next day. <laughs> <laughs> but they were good, right? Oh, very good. Absolutely. Without question, absolutely excellent. Mm-hmm. We tried uh, the sticky ginger garlic over here, and uh, uh, and uh, oh yeah, we can't get enough of it for like slathering it on everything. <laughs> well, I like the spicy. I put the spicy on my eggs every morning. Hmm. <laughs> well, kids, you should try it too. To find out more and to get yours today, go to www.peppermaster.com. The Peppermaster. Hot pepper sauces made from farm fresh ingredients to thrill your taste buds and expand your mind. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.